So let me remind you of where we are in the story. We're in the life of Moses. He was born and saved by, putting him, by, by his parents putting him in a basket in the river. Moses means to be drawn out. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. He spent 40 years there, saw a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and Moses decided that the Egyptian should lose his life. So Moses killed the Egyptian, which then meant that he had to flee Egypt. So Moses flees Egypt. He spends 40 years in the desert, basically taking care of animals. One day, at the end of about 40 years, at the age of 80, he's standing there and sees a bush that is burning but is not consumed. It is God who speaks to him from the bush and says, Moses, i got a plan for you, and here's what you're going to do. So Moses ends up going to Egypt and basically confronting Pharaoh and saying, look, it's time to let my people go. Let Israel go. That's what God wants you to do. So Moses now spends time tackling one-on-one -on -one the ten, ten of the Egyptian gods in what we know as the plagues. And God basically says to the Egyptians, I am God, your gods are not. I am more powerful than your God. So we get all the way to the tenth plague, which is the Passover, and the children of Israel leave Egypt and head towards the promised land. As they're going towards the promised land, the next thing that starts to happen is that uh, Israel starts on this journey and the Egyptians follow. And of course we have the Red Sea where most of the Egyptian army is completely wiped out. Then uh, Israel gets to Marah and starts complaining. They've traveled now a whole three days and they start complaining and griping to God. And God provides them water. Then they get uh, to Elam. And then they find themselves at Rephidim, and God provides them manna. And then they find themselves, again, complaining uh, where, where um, God uh, at the, the rock, oh, Rephidim was the water from the rock. Seen is where they ended up with the manna. And then Israel makes their way to basically uh, Mount Sinai. And if you'll remember this story, God comes down from heaven and speaks to Moses, and the people of Israel are are encamped around the mountain, and they're not allowed to go up. And we've spent the last 10, 11 weeks on the Ten Commandments, and God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. Now, it didn't take God 40 days to say Ten Words, all right, or Ten Commandments. All of the rest of, like, Deuteronomy, where it has all of the explanations of the command, all that would have been contained in it as well. But here's what you need to remember. For 40 days, God and Moses have been together on the mountain. Now let that sink in for a second. Forty days, every moment you are in the, the awesome presence of God. No one else is allowed there. Just you and God and all of his awesome splendor. Forty days on the mountain. Okay? That's where we pick up our story. So in Exodus chapter 32, now normally, this is the golden calf story, all right? And normally I would just jump into it, but I'm actually going to divide it into two parts, because I think often when we go to this story, we miss the first part. 
And there are so many lessons in the first part that I don't want to jump to, to the story you know. I want to start with what happens before the story you know. Because too many times we skip over it. So let's walk through it, and here's where we're going to start. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, again, we've been 42, 40 days now, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods, or in the Hebrew, God, uh, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's been gone for 40 days, so we got to have something to follow. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Now, before you go, see, we can wear earrings, even guys. Um, okay, let's remember, these people were slaves, and often the mark of a slave was an earring, usually in, in the ear, so it was, it was common. So uh, a lot of times we're really hard on Aaron in this story, but I, I want to be careful here in the children of Israel because there's, I think they were doing, I think they had good intentions here. And it says, uh, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol, cast it into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So these people had some skills because they're going to build the tabernacle in a little bit. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Then he goes on, and when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, let me just say this, that got up to indulge in revelry is a really nice politically correct way of saying this was not the kind of party you and I would have attended. Okay? Uh, this, again, they had pagan roots, and, 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 and they had been exposed to all the paganness of Egypt. And when we start looking at, at the Egyptian gods and how much of that was associated with, with immorality, this is what they knew. So it was one of those things that kind of went, went south really, really fast. Okay? Uh, so that's, that's, that's the background for a little bit as this thing goes. So let me try to put it in perspective, and, and let's talk about it for a second so we have a good idea here. Moses has been gone 40 days. So the people have always looked to Moses for leadership, and now Moses is gone. Now Moses is at the mountain, but they can't see Moses. These are people who... As they were brought up in Egypt, all the gods that were worshipped in Egypt were tangible. They were things that you could see. So I think the, the original intent here is good. You know, we need to see something. Uh, we need something tangible that we, we, we can't hear. So Aaron asked for jewelry, and I think it's interesting. In this text, he talks about the idea of earrings. And again, that would have been a symbol of their slavery. So to get rid of that would have been no big deal because they, they were no longer slaves. So I think there's, there's some, some idea behind it of the idea of we no longer have masters over us, so we don't need this anymore. But what they did is they went and worshipped that which was familiar to them, that which they had been surrounded with 
all of their life. Again, they, they've only been free people for a short amount of time. So now all of a sudden, Aaron, the people say, we want something, we want something. Aaron says, well, give me your earrings, we'll make something. And then when they make something, Aaron goes, okay, you know what, I'll tell you what, let's just have a celebration here. Let's, let's celebrate the idea that, that, that God has brought us out of Egypt, we're not slaves anymore, and, and so they, they head into this. You go, well, okay, Pastor, here's the problem, though. These people have already violated, like, the second commandment, you know? You'll have no grave enemy. It's time out. They don't have the commandments yet. Moses does. And he's up on the mountain with God. So they, at this point in the story, there are no Ten Commandments as far as Israel's concerned. Now, they should have known better because they are still Hebrews, but yet... There's no, quote-unquote, Ten Commandments like you and I know of at this point in the story. Moses got those, and actually when he comes down from the mountain, he's going to smash them in two, so they're really not going to happen then. You have to wait another 40 days. But this is the idea, okay? So notice what happens next, and the story continues on. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, go down, <laughs> because your people... Okay, now, by the way, you don't understand this, but this is a test. God's testing Moses here. Your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Now, we're going to see this when Moses uh, strikes the rock. Uh, he, he, this comes into play again at this point. But notice what he says, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bound down to it, they've sacrificed to it, and they've said, these are the gods, Israel, which brought you up out of Egypt. Now, remember the plagues. They were an attack on all of these gods. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. You understand the deal God is about ready to make with Moses? He says, listen, Moses, here's the deal. Get out of the way, let me wipe them out, and I'll start over with you. You know, Moses, as you have talked for all of these years about Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from here on out, it will be known as the God of Moses. Now, let's just stop and ask ourselves a couple of questions. If you're Moses, are these people your cheerleaders? Have these people brought you great joy? No. These people have been a thorn in his side from day one. At one point, they wanted to kill him. At one point, they wanted him dead. And God says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to wipe them out and start all over with you. And you're going, well, you know, you're God, whatever you want to do. Okay with me. And then in the back of your mind, your agenda gets accomplished. You become the great ruler. You become the great person. And all these people are gone. God's testing. God's testing. Because God wants to see where Moses' heart is. Notice what happens next. Because as the story goes on, 
it says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? But stop, God. First of all, I didn't bring them out. They're not my people. They're your people, and you brought them out. And you brought them out in a great and powerful way. Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out? To kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth. God, have you thought about what the Egyptians are going to say if you wipe them out? Your character and testimony are on the line here. Notice what he goes on to say. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. Do not bring this disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all the land I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever. Don't forget your word, God. Don't forget your promises. Don't forget your covenant. Then the Lord relented, and he did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This was a test. This was a test to see where Moses' heart really, really, really was. And you see here Moses all of a sudden responding in that way. And by the way, have you ever thought about why would Moses respond like that? Think about this. He'd spent 40 days with God. And at the end of 40 days, guess what? He's thinking like God thinks. He's all of a sudden reflecting the things that are important to God. Because he's gotten to know God pretty well. And so, in, in this thing, like, so like I say, we always jump to the calf story, but this is an important story here. And there's a lot of great lessons for us, so here's the first thing. <clears throat> first principle is this. First idea is this. You and I can fall into the trap of getting, uh, of getting familiar with the things of God at work, and it becomes dangerous for us. See, here's what you're forgetting in the story. Do you remember this? This is the mountain where God is speaking to Moses in fire. And every day that Israel gets up, this is what they see. For 40 days, they would get up and they would look up there and they would see the mountain and smoke and fire and know that Moses went up there. And this, got, this gets to the point, this is second nature. And they look, at Mo, they look at Aaron and they go, hey, Aaron, we miss Moses. See the fire? God is there. Look at God. Don't look at Moses. But what, what are they looked at? They're looking at their circumstances. They're looking at their thing. And they're missing God's at work right smack dab in front of them every single day. Want to know the problem with us? God is at work every day around us, and we don't see Him. We're so used to it, and we've become so familiar with it, it's second nature, and we, we, we just ignore it. Do you know what happened in your body to be able to get here today? 
You're going, yeah, I feel it. No, I mean, seriously, do you know? Do you know how many things your brain has processed in order for you to see, in order for you to walk, in order for you to get in a car, in order for you to eat, in order for you to get dressed, in order for you to get here today? And that is God at work. There are people this morning who, you know what their first thought of when they got up was? Where am I going to get food today? How am I going to make enough money to get bread? And you and I, in America, which we like to gripe and complain about all the crazy stuff that's going on, we have food and shelter and more clothes than we know what to do with and more vehicles than we know what to do with and more food than we know what to do with. Most of the stuff you and I, I've been cleaning up sheds. The stuff that I throw out is stuff that people in many places would give anything to have. My chickens eat better than a lot of people. Your dogs and your cats eat better than a lot of people do in this world. And that is God blessing and giving you far more than you ever deserve. And yet, we have the audacity to gripe and complain because we don't have enough. Or we want more. Or we want this fixed. Listen, when you and I become, this issue of gratitude and this issue of gratefulness and this issue of realizing that God is at work around us all the time is so crucial to understanding God and not going down the road Israel went down. Because God was at work right smack dab. I mean, within, I don't know how how big the mountain is or anything else, but within a half a mile of them, they can see God at work. And they didn't even see him. And you go, how in the world could you miss it? How in the world do we miss it? Be careful here. Because this is the mistake Israel makes. They don't see God at work right smack dab in front of them. Another thing that you see in the story, um, as you look to it, the mountains prepare you for the valleys. See, Moses has spent spent 40 days with God. So guess what? It's really easy for Moses to react in a right way. Because while he's on the mountain, he's learning and experiencing God and pulling in everything that he can about God in order to be able to go through what he's... I mean, the next part of the journey for Moses and the children of Israel is not any fun. But Moses, can you imagine... Can you imagine being with God on a mountain for 40 days and God said, hey, by the way, uh, it's time for you to go. Ever been on a vacation and didn't want to leave? You know, where it's the hardest thing in the world to get back in, in that whatever it was, vehicle or plane or whatever else and go home? Why? Because you just want to grab every moment. And I'm sure when God said, Moses, you need to go down and take care of this. I was like, God, I don't want to leave the mountain. Let Joshua or Aaron handle it. I, I want to stay here. But see, Moses learned a great principle. On the mountain, you build the foundation so you get through the valleys. 
That's why, by the way, there are people who are, there are Christian people who are doing really well through this crisis, and there are people who are doing very poorly. Because you see, when times were good, when, when things were going well, they didn't use that as, to build a foundation for the valleys that lay ahead. So now all of a sudden they find themselves in a valley and they're lost because they wasted all of this time on the mountain. It's kind of like Moses sitting back and going, okay, look, God, you know, I'm really glad you're here and I know you want to talk to me and everything else, but I'm going to sit back in my chair here and just enjoy the mountain for the next 40 days. Moses grabbed everything he could from God. And, And what has to happen is, so here's what I would say to you. For some of you, this crisis has not affected you like it's affected other people. Financially, you're still doing okay. You still have your job, you still have your, your, your family and your kids, and everybody's doing okay. Listen, this is the mountaintop, this is the time to get ready for the valley, because the valleys are coming. I don't care where you are in life, I don't care how old you are. You know, and teenagers, listen to me, I know, I know that in your world things are really horrible right now. You know, because whatever. It ain't going to get any easier. I think we do our kids a great disservice when we don't prepare them for reality. And what happens is a lot of them get out in the real world and all of a sudden reality hits and they're not ready for it. Because basically what we've done is we've just kept them on the mountain. And any time they got ready to go through a valley, we went, oh, no, no, you can't handle that. Let me run you up to the top of the mountain again. I'll, I'll take care of the valley for you. Kids, listen to me. One of the best things that can happen for you is to go through some tough times. Because there are going to be tough times ahead in life. And, and, and parents, what I would say to you is our goal is to prepare kids for life. Not to keep them on a mountaintop all day long. And, and, and what happens is, some of them, what happens is they go out, they get a taste of the valley, and they run right back up to the top of the mountain and go, and I'm not going to live there. You have to. You have to. It's unrealistic to think you can always be on the mountaintop. And Moses has to go back down to the valley. And he has to go deal with these people. And next week we're going to talk. By the way, he, he doesn't tiptoe around anything either when he comes down off that mountain. And I would like to believe that Moses does it all in the right attitude. But honestly, I think he's probably a little ticked that he had to leave the mountain. Because I think I would be, you know. I got to come down here and deal with you when I was up there. You know what? You can't live on the mountain all the time. And when you're on the mountaintop experiences, that's when you build the foundation for the valleys that are ahead. Um, because it's too hard in the valley to try to play catch up. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it's way too hard to do that. And um, I, often, I, I often see that with people. It, it, it's, it, they just struggle with that, trying to play catch up. But you can't play catch up. You know, and some people... I have a philosophy of this is my personal opinion. I can't prove this in the Bible. Okay? Here's what I think. I think there's an element at which we teach God how we respond in life. Okay? So think about this for a minute, because this is what I see play out. I see people that when they go through a difficult time in life, they run to church. And they call pastors and they call counselors and all of a sudden they work on their spiritual life and and get everything propped up in order to help them get through what they get through. And that's great. They get through it. And then what happens? Then once they get things leveled out, you don't ever see them again. 
And then what happens? Another crisis comes, and what happens? Now all of a sudden they're back at church. And, and it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that they're doing that. But what they don't realize is, here's what you're saying to God. God, if you want me to be spiritual, just keep me in crisis. And if you're God who wants a relationship with them, guess what? It's kind of like, oh, I've got to put a little crisis in or I'm not going to get their attention. And I think sometimes we do that. And that, that's kind of insanity where it's a whole lot better to go, okay, God, I'm going to serve you faithfully on the mountaintop in the valley and, and I'm just going to be consistent in my growth. And, and that's a far better way to live than going, hey, God, look, if you will always keep me in crisis, I will always keep you first. Okay, good luck with that. Uh, but there's an, I'm telling you, there's an easier way to do it than that, all right? Uh, but again, it's that idea of the mountaintop. Here's another idea. Another idea that you see in this is the ultimate focus here is God's glory. What does Moses do? He immediately says, you know what? God, you can't do this. You can't do this because you love these people. You're committed to these people. Your word says that you're going to give these people a promised land. God, you have to take your testimonies at stake, God. If you wipe them out, the Egyptians will think that you are not the God that you said you were. In fact, Moses actually gets a point. He says, God, if you have to make a choice between them or me, you take me. That's pretty bold. Because as in this story, this is what you see. You see this idea of he's like, your glory, God, is the most important thing. Listen, whatever you're going through right now, what's the, what, when we go through a difficult time, what's our, our standard prayer? God, get me out of this. We get sick, our first prayer, God, heal me. We're in pain, God, fix it. We have problems in our family, God, I want you to make it go away. Is that not the way we pray? What did Moses say here? God, your testimony is at stake. I want you to be glorified in this. And the way you handle this, I want your glory, I want your name to be exalted and lifted up. Pray that way. Pray that way, Lord. Through all of this, through everything I'm going through, I want you to be honored and glorified. God, I want your name. So, Lord, if me going through a tough time is going to be able to help somebody else down the road, then, Lord, you're going to have to help me as I go through this tough time. Your glory. Lord, is most important, not my comfort. That is the prayer of a serious person who has walked with God. When we get to the point that our, our, our issue is not, Lord, get me out of this, but instead, Lord, let me glorify you through this, that's a different level of praying. And our goal here as a church, our goal here is, my goal as an individual is to always try to be, Lord, Use this that the world may see you in me. And, and sometimes, and, and again, I, I, we do it, I do it, I just don't like it. But when I see somebody go, well, I had this and God healed me, and God is good. Time out. God is good whether you got healed or not. Be careful there. Be careful there. God is good, period. Not God is good because you got healed. And it's a slippery slope, but it's easy to, to, to go down that road. And, and our goal is for God to be honored and glorified in our lives. And that's what Moses says here. 
He steps to the, up to the plate and goes, God, look, there's too much at stake here. You need to be glorified. You can't do this because it will hurt your name. It will hurt your word. It will hurt your testimony. Another idea is this. One of the really cool things about this story is this is a microcosm, a little bitty glimpse into the cross. Because what you have in this story is you have God sitting there saying, Moses, I'm going to destroy the people. And Moses steps in between God and the people. He intercedes and says, God, you can't do that. There's too much at stake here. Lord, I am pleading on behalf of Israel and on behalf of you, don't do this. And God's anger, God's wanting, again, it's, I think it's a test, but God's way of wanting to wipe out Israel, Moses is the reason he doesn't. When we sin, it separated us from God. God said, because of sin, you and I cannot exist together. It is impossible. I am of pure eyes that behold sin. In spite of that, Jesus steps into the picture and says, look, Lord, I will pay the price for sin. I will offer them salvation. I will be the middle person between you and them. I will make the way. And Jesus goes to the cross and God accepts the sacrifice. That's the story of the resurrection. And God is able to have his, his anger satisfied because of the sacrifice of Christ. And salvation can now be offered to anyone who wants it. Anyone who will say yes. Why? Because Jesus was the mediator. He was the intercessor. Just as Moses stands between God and Israel and stands in their place, Jesus Christ does the same thing for us. You get a small glimpse of that in this story. And that just as God is here on the mountain and the people are here, Moses steps in the middle between them. And in the same way, God is here and we are here and Jesus Christ steps in the middle so that we can be with God. The people and Moses have to make a choice. You're going to see this next week. In this story, Moses has to make a choice between following God or allowing this to go on. Moses chooses to follow God. Aaron has to make a choice. Does he listen to the people? Or does he do what's right? And Aaron listened to the popular opinion of the group that we've got to have something to see. The fire on the mountain is not enough. I mean, we laugh, but the reality is this is how we live. Oh, God, if you could just show me a sign. Did you get up? There you go. Got food? Taken care of. Got shelter? Clothing? Yep, 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 yep. You still need a sign? Really? You still need more? Oh, God, just show me a sign. Stop. He's at work all the, way, all the time around you. If you will open your eyes and see him at work, just like Israel missed him, we do the same thing. So, this passage is about choices. 
Do we follow God? Or are we like Aaron and we follow the crowd? Aaron listened to the demands of the crowd, and you're going to see next week he's going to pay a price for that. But because Moses had been in fellowship with God, he saw people and the situation from an eternal perspective. He sought God's glory, not his agenda. Moses decided to follow God with his whole heart this week. We need to walk close to God. And this week, we need to allow him to use us as we honor him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it is so easy to miss you at work around us. It is so easy to get caught up in our world. It's so easy to get caught up, Lord, in all of the things that we wish were better or the things that we don't have or the things, Lord, that, that we should be given or the things that we need to go away. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in that. Don't let us do it. Lord, we are here today. We are able to watch today. We are able to see you at work around us in so many ways. So, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts. May we be grateful for that which we have. And may we use all that we have, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, so that people may see you and you be honored and glorified in our lives. These things we ask in your name.